Good morning, Cedar Creek. Thank you so much. I, I need to start uh, with a few disclaimers. First, if you have your Bible, uh, you can grab it, open it up, be in Deuteronomy chapter six is where we're gonna hang out. So if you wanna jump ahead, we'll get there in just a little bit. But I do wanna cover a few things just in case you're new with us or visiting with us this morning. Uh, this is not what normally happens here. Uh, my name is Rick. I am one of the pastors on staff here at our Banks Mill campus. Um, usually during this portion of our service, our senior pastor, Philip, who is also my father, full disclosure, uh, would come out and be out here delivering the message and unpacking God's word for the next 30 minutes or so. Um, but he actually had his appendix taken out this week. Uh, and so he is in recovery, uh, doing very, very well. Thank you for those of, of you who knew and, and were able to pray for him this week. Uh, I know those were appreciated and he is doing great. Um, but he did approach me and ask if I would be willing to fill in this morning, and so that's what's going to happen. So I say all of that to say, if you hate whatever happens for the next 30-ish minutes, I'm gonna say ish, because that'll cover me and protect me and you, and you won't be mad at 33. Uh, if you hate that, fair. Uh, I grant you the, the, the right justification to do that if you would like to. I just ask that you come back again next week. Uh, and that hopefully you might like that a little bit better and you'll be able to connect. But I am unbelievably excited to get to do this. I love, love, love anytime I have the opportunity to unpack God's words. But in addition to that disclaimer that this isn't normally what happens, I wanna ask for a little bit of grace because this week and this message in particular is also one of those you see God's sense of humor slash a little bit you see God smiting me, I believe is what's happening. Uh, just a week ago, a little over a week ago, I was in a conversation with someone where they asked me, hey, does it bother you to speak in front of people? Does it bother you to stand in front of large crowds and speak in front of people? And the answer is very early in my ministry career, a little bit, but by and large, the answer to that is no. And now strangely enough, the more people, the easier it is, all right? So that doesn't bother me, the lights don't bother me, the microphone doesn't bother me, all of those type of things don't really, don't really play into my head and I guess it's just God's design and, and the way that he's gifted me to be in this position. The only thing that ever gets to me or makes me exceptionally nervous is the topics that I get asked to preach on, okay? And so Philip approached me Sunday night, last Sunday night we were at Odell Weeks playing tennis and messing around and he said, hey, would you be willing, if I'm not able to preach next week, would you be willing to preach uh, as part of our Family Matters More series? And literally, I didn't answer him. I just kind of went, and he kind of went, I was thinking about maybe gearing something towards parenting. And I went, and there's nobody else. We have an unbelievably gifted, unbelievably large staff with people who can teach, with people who can preach, with people who can do all of that at all of our campuses, and you feel like I am the one that you want to ask to do this. And so complete disclosure, and I think I could dive in even look a little bit deeper and get you to understand why the topic thing bothers me. I am a little bit nervous to stand on this stage and cover topics that I believe people would kill me over. Full disclosure, okay? Parenting and family fits into that category, but I'm on the back end and I accept it because at least it's not money, okay? At least he didn't ask me to come up here and talk about tithing and giving and doing those kind of things. But one of the other reasons, in addition to the fact that I just struggle with a little bit of nervousness over the topic is because I feel very underqualified. I wanna show you guys a picture. This is a picture of my daughter, Piper. If we can get that thrown up, let's see if we have that. Do we have that? 
There's my daughter, Piper. At Disney World just a couple of weeks ago, she's the best. Listen, I know that all of your kids are cute. She's just cuter, okay? I'm sorry. I don't know why it happened this way. It just happened. I'm also praying that maybe Disney will see this message and either refund me some of the money from our trip to Disney World or let us come back for free. Pray for that. I don't see that happening. But this is my daughter, Piper. She's two years old. She's a ball of energy, and we absolutely love her. And so I recognize that I'm standing on a stage this morning delivering, being asked to deliver a message on parenting. And by and large, I'm still in the parenting phase that I'm just trying to keep her from plugging in a fork or drink Clorox, okay? Like that's the bulk majority of my time. Piper, we can't jump off of that. Piper, you shouldn't even be climbing up onto that. Piper, stop. Piper, stop. Piper, don't do that. That's not safe. Don't eat that. That's not food. Don't do that. And that's the bulk majority of my parenting relationship right now. So there are people in this crowd right now, watching online right now, at all of our campuses right now, who are probably much more by life stages qualified to deliver the message that I've been asked to deliver this morning. And so I I approach this message and this morning not from the position of arrogance or that I have it all together, but from the position of I might throw up. (laughs) And that's where we're at. But what my goal is this morning is not to come out here and give you step by step by step, here's how you raise a successful child. Here's how you raise, my child is two. I don't think that would be fair. At Cedar Creek, we make this statement in all of our age-appropriate worship environments, especially for you who are parents. It is our desire as a church to equip you to be the spiritual leader of your family. It is, let me say that again. It is the desire of Cedar Creek Church to equip you as a parent to be the spiritual leader of your family. It is our desire to partner with you in seeing your children impacted by the goodness of Jesus and then have you have the ability to walk those conversations out with them, to live that out with them because even if you come here every single week, 52 weeks a year, that's 52 hours roughly that we're gonna have with your children. It is not our goal to be the primary spiritual development in your child's life. It is our goal to equip you to continue conversations that they begin here with us in their age-appropriate worship environments. We seek to do this in a variety of ways. Our Kids Creek has take-homes. We have all kind of stuff through the app. Did you know that you can access through the Cedar Creek Church app every single lesson that your kids are walking through on a Sunday morning? We we seek to do this through the Parent Q app that simply gives you reminders about, hey, here's where your kids are. Here's how much time you have left until they're no longer kids and they're no longer there, at least hopefully. And you have on-demand access to everything that we use here on Sunday mornings in all of our age-appropriate environments simply because we want you to be able to continue dialogues with your children in such a way that you can walk out their spiritual journey. You will be, as their parent, 10 million times more effective in discipling, caring, and leading your your children spiritually than this church will ever be. And it's our desire to invest in you. So the goal this morning is to do that. I just want to walk through a couple of things. We're going to unpack three things this morning. That's it. One passage of scripture and three things that I think will help you as a parent lead your family spiritually. But I want to pause. 
because I don't want anybody in here uncomfortable. I also wanna cover, if that's our goal, I wanna cover what our goal is not. First, I need to speak to you and I need to ask you if you're here in this room and you're not a parent, all right? You are not a parent of a child, okay? I need to clear that. I love your dog too, okay? But if you are not a parent of a child, I, I want you to usher away the urge to disconnect. I am going to primarily be speaking this morning to parents because that's what I've been asked to do, but here's what I believe. Spiritual leadership does not only happen inside the confines of family relationships. And spiritual leadership does not only happen between parent and child. In fact, throughout the pages of Scripture, the church is going to be described as a family, as a body of believers united together. And here's why I don't want you to disconnect. There is right now, if you could bring Piper down here and ask Piper, who are your best buddies? Piper, who are your best friends? She is going to list off three girls. One of them is my sister, Emily, and then two other, and they are all in the age range of 20 to 30 years old. And those are gonna be her best friends. And I love that that is her best friends because listen to me, here's the role that they play. They talk with me. We have relationships about Jesus and our relationships with Jesus and their positions. And so they are a voice that speaks into my daughter's life as another preacher, as another counselor, as another caregiver that is not dad. And so everyone in this room has a role to play in helping with the spiritual development and leading someone in your life spiritually. Do not disconnect this morning. Don't unplug. And even if you're not a parent, everyone in here is part of a family. And everyone in here has a role from God to play inside of the confines of that family. Also, I wanna reiterate, so please, that's the first, don't disconnect. The goal of this message is primarily geared at parents, but I believe that there's a ton of stuff that all of us are gonna benefit from and be able to walk away. Secondly, the goal of this is not a lecture from a perfect parent. I am not here this morning to tell you what I have done perfectly. Listen, you just saw, and again, I, I reemphasize, she's the cutest. And I have, in the last two years, absolutely lost my mind in public places on a precious little two-year-old girl who probably has no idea why I am losing my mind. I am not a perfect parent. I have in moments of frustration and just bad days of work come home and probably disciplined with a little bit more harshness that was needed in that moment, especially for a two-year-old girl who is an unbelievable gift of God's grace. But I, I, wanna, I wanna say this this morning, and then I wanna challenge you, I want us to all be on the same page here, so this is what I want us to grasp this morning, is say this with me, I don't have to be a perfect parent. I don't have to be a perfect parent. Do you know why that's really good news? Because I can't, and I'm not. But here's the incredible thing I wanna unpack, God hasn't asked you to be. God is not in heaven going, I need perfection from you or you are going to ruin this. I also wanna speak this into you. You've ruined nothing. Where you feel like you've blown it, where you feel like you haven't gotten right, you've ruined nothing. God's power and God's grace is sufficient for you and it is sufficient in the lives of your children. 
God hasn't asked you to be. Also, this morning is not gonna be a drive-by guilting from Dr. Phil, right? I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm not smart enough to be, and I have no desire to be. I don't want to do that. This morning is simply the overflow of a nerve-wracking week where God has burdened and broken me for my own shortcomings and my hope and my desire is that what I've wrestled to the ground with God this week might help you as you walk out the relationships inside your family. So let's jump in. Now that we've got the goals, what there are and what they're not, Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse four, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they, will, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We're gonna unpack this a little bit more but I wanna unpack the whole thing. If you're not familiar with what this is, some of us that are maybe more familiar with New Testament teaching would call this the greatest commandment. That this is gonna show up again in the New Testament. Jesus is going to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So a little bit different, but this is the command. But for Old Testament, in the ancient Israelite faith, this was called the Shema. And it was a daily prayer that everyone in the ancient Israelite, uh, Israelite faith would recite. They would remind themselves first who God is and then what that means for them. They would remind themselves that I am to love the Lord their God with all your heart. But what I wanna look at this for, for the purpose of this morning, is if you understand and unpack this passage a little bit differently, aside from just the biblical labels that we could put on it, it's really a connection of three concentric circles. And I say that they're concentric because I wanna unpack them that way, and it's essential that we go that way. We can't start on where this ends. We can't start in the middle. We have to start in the right place. And the right place is going to be that verse four is going to inform us who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's an incredibly deep theological statement about the nature and characteristic of the Trinity that we're not gonna unpack because y'all wanna leave before four, and I don't wanna keep you here that late. And so what, what is important in that passage that I wanna look at this morning is that before we get to any command, the statement is made defining for everyone who would read this, here is who God is. The first circle in our parenting journey, and I'm gonna take it a step farther, so again, we don't disconnect if that's not us. The first circle in our life's journey, in our quest to find abundant life that Jesus calls us to is to recognize who God is that we have to start in the center circle of recognizing who God is. We need to develop a knowledge of God. It is important that we know who he is. And here's why. My fear is that many of us as Christians, especially in the Bible Belt, exist like I did in a particular setting in the fourth grade. In the fourth grade, we were studying the Civil War, and we had an, a, a, an assignment, a homework assignment, and I, just full disclosure, I was terrible at homework, okay? When I say I was terrible at homework, I don't mean like I got the homework answers wrong. I mean like I was terrible at actually doing my homework at all, okay? And so I would just put stuff off. I would forget about stuff. I wouldn't worry about it. And in the fourth grade, we got an assignment to memorize Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, all right? 
And so we had this assignment for probably a month and a half. I don't remember how long we knew about it, and so everybody was working on it. People had flashcards and all that kind of stuff, and you would think that I would take the social cues there and begin to get a little bit nervous, but I didn't. I just kind of kept living my life. And so the day comes that the whole class is going to have to stand up and recite the Gettysburg Address one at a time. And I have memorized nothing. Nothing. All right? And so they start going through, and I'm probably in the middle of the class, so maybe 10th, 11th person that's on the board in the order that we go. And so everybody gets up there, and they start four score, and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this. All right? And so everybody starts, and then she calls on me. Now... Even in the fourth grade, you feel like a normal, sensible human being would go, listen, I need some more days. I don't know it. I'm sorry. I'm going to be late. You can take points off of my grade. But what Rick Lee did is walk up to the front of the class and go four score and seven years ago and then make up a speech for the rest of it that had absolutely nothing to do with what Abraham Lincoln said. And here's the thing. My teacher let me do it, Right? And I gotta believe that's just partially for her entertainment. She's just sitting there going, I'm gonna see where this is gonna go. My hope and my prayer is she never came back to me and said, hey, I think you have some presidential potential. So I'm guessing my made up speech wasn't that good in the fourth grade, but I got all the way done and then I sat back down and she's like, Rick, you didn't memorize the speech, did you? I was like, that's fair. That's a fair assessment of what just happened here. And my fear is, that many of us enter into and, and handle our relationship with God in a very similar way to that. We try to have discussions about God, we try to interact with God, we try to be church people, we try to do whatever we wanna be, and at the end of the day, we're standing up trying to make a speech about something that we have very little, if any, knowledge about at all. And so I wanna be very, very clear that it's important this morning that we launch out with an understanding, a knowledge about God, but we're not going to end there. And what I want to do is transition really quickly in the first way that I wanna look at that we lead, three, and our three ways to lead this morning is that we start in the correct lane. We start in the correct lane. There's a very interesting transition that happens if you go back up and look at, the, at verse four to verse five. Verse four again is, here's who God is, and then the command is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. All right, this is interesting and difficult for us because it's not the way that our culture operates. We live very much, especially in America, in a performance-driven culture. You demonstrate how much you care by how much you spend and how much you do. But God, in his grace, is not saying, I am God, now go follow the Ten Commandments. His immediate response is I, not, I am God, now go and be a good church person. It's not, now I am God, now go and be a perfect parent. It's not, now I am God, now go and do. It's, I am God, love. And here's the reason why that is so unbelievably, and that makes God's grace so astonishing is the freedom that is found in that and because God is giving us permission to operate from the greatest place that we could ever operate in terms of what actually motivates us. Here's the reality. What you love motivates you far beyond what you know. Let me say that again. What we love is far more motivating than what we know. You don't believe me? All right. There's two types of people in here right now. There's the type A person who's by the book, all right? And I'm gonna take it a little bit farther. 
You are driven when it comes to your personal fitness. You are driven when it comes to your diet. You are driven when it comes to what you eat because you know what is healthy. You know what is gonna keep you going. You know what is gonna lead to a long life and you are do it. I'll take it a little bit farther. So I'm gonna say there's that kind of person in here who if we're honest, you're a little bit crazy. And then there's the other kind of person in here and this is the person that's tasted birthday cake. Okay? And recognizes, here's what I know every single time I go out to eat at Outback. Kale is better for me than cheesecake. I know that is a fact, but 10 times out of 10, I am going to order cheesecake, despite my knowledge. Why? Because I love cheesecake. I know that it's not good for me. I know that it's probably shortening my life. I have all of the knowledge I could ever need about that, but knowledge isn't the greatest motivator in life. It's what we love. And so Jesus' command here in the greatest commandment is this. Our studying, our unpacking scripture, our discovering more and more and more and more and more about who God is is not meant to make ourselves theologically arrogant. Our studying God's character and attribute is meant to stir our affection for who God is. Listen, if your theology doesn't impact your affection, your theology is often useless. It's just more knowledge. Because your affection is going to guide your life. God doesn't say, don't, he doesn't say do, he says love. One of those things is religion, and one of those things is a saving, redeeming gospel. And so Jesus is going to say love. So how does this play into our parenting? Why does this matter in our parenting? If we're not careful, especially in the culture that we live in, we do the exact opposite of what Jesus has commanded us to do. And so what we do is we begin to develop kids who may be morally upright. We develop kids who may always get the honor roll sticker. We develop kids who may become professional athletes. We develop kids who may become trophies for us to brag about. And here's the thing, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. Please, there's nothing, I'm not telling you your kid's bad if they're on the honor roll, they probably could have helped me. They probably memorized the Gettysburg Address when they were supposed to memorize the Gettysburg Address. But if that's all that our kids ever are, and we convince them that their entire identity is found in what they do, in what they do, in how they perform, in how they act, in how they behave, then we've robbed them of joy, and we've robbed them of the abundant life that Jesus has created them for. Our, our call as a parent is not to make honor roll students, it's to make followers of Jesus and to lead them to the cross. Now, I wanna be very careful here and to recognize that it starts not with your relationship with your kid, but with your relationship with Jesus. That the first thing, before we get to the third ring, the first ring being our knowledge of God, the second ring being our personal relationship with God and our affection for God, before we can ever get to the third ring, which is gonna be our family's relationship, Jesus is going to say, you work on this. Get this. Because here's the reality right now for you, parent. You are leading your kids somewhere. Everything that you do leads and teaches them something and they are watching you. Husbands, every time you yell at your wife in front of your children, you are teaching your children. You're teaching your daughters that that's what they can expect when they get married and you're teaching your men that it's okay to not be able to actually deal with their feelings and just to lash out in frustration. That's what you're teaching them indirectly just in your action. 
Women, every single time that we say something to our husband for the 8,000th time, I wanna make a couple of notes. One, I've never talked to a man in any marriage counseling that had a revolutionary life change the 8,000th time his wife told him something. It finally clicked. I got it. But also, every time you continually point out the weaknesses in your husband, you're teaching your daughters that that's the way to get what they want. Instead of being an expert in, our, in your husband's strengths, you teach them to dwell on their weaknesses and you emasculate their father and their son watches that happen. We are teaching something. My challenge for you, parent, is the first step, the correct lane that we have to start in is to make sure that we protect above everything else your personal deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. Circle one is God, circle two is me. Circle three is going to extend to our family relationships. Let's look at verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach what? Your knowledge of Jesus and the affection that knowledge has stirred. But if I can be honest with you, my struggle this week has been with that word diligently. Because diligently means it requires time. And in the culture that we live in, here's oftentimes how dinner goes at our house. I'm throwing chicken nuggets into the back seat and the blessing looks a lot like this. God, thank you for inspiring the people at Chick-fil-A to make the drive-through line so efficient so that I have time to feed my daughter before we get home and she has to go to bed. And so that word diligently puts a great weight on me, but if we continue in verse seven, it says this, and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Our default position when it comes to spiritual leadership of our family is I don't have time. I don't have time, I don't have the capability, let the church, let their mom, but hang on a second. The diligent of this says, how many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you have a couch? It's not a trick question, how many of you have a couch in your house? Okay, how many of you sit on the couch? Cool, awesome. How many of you walk around or drive your kids around? Anywhere. Almost all of us that would be parents said we have a couch and that we spend time walking around just like the scripture says here. Each one of those moments provides for you, if you'll pay attention, an opportunity to invest in your children. Which is the last thing that I want to look at this morning. The third way that we, or the second thing, way that we lead, sorry, we haven't got to the third way, is that we would be attentive and explain. In every single moment of our life, one of two things happens. We are making an investment or we're punting that investment to something else. Listen to me. I'm a huge fan of iPads in the car, but if every single time your kid gets in the car, you punt that time to a device, you've missed it. You've lost it because in that moment, listen, You've trapped them. They can't get out, all right? Not safely, all right? And they're not gonna go rolling down the road. And in that moment that we could be attentive and explain that we could ask questions that require more than one word answer and we could gauge where our kids are spiritually and then invest in them. And then not only that, every time they see us doing something, we stop assuming they know why we're doing it and we explain how our affection for Jesus spurs the way that we handle this situation in our lives and we teach them what that looks like. We have to go into detail. We can't assume that they understand because they likely don't. I got really excited and thought that I was crushing it as a parent this year as it was, we were approaching Easter and Piper said, I said, Piper, we're talking in bed one night doing bedtime. I said, Piper, do you know, you know Jesus is your friend? She said, yeah, I know Jesus is my friend. He died for me. And I'm like, this is, my daughter's gonna get saved at two years old. This is the moment. And I asked her this question. I said, and then what happened? 
the Easter bunny comes and I get to find eggs. Okay, we've missed. We're, start, we're steering the ship in the right direction initially, but we're not quite there yet. We can't assume the first time they make a statement that they understand what they're doing. We continue to be attentive and to explain and walk with them. And then look at where the passage ends and where we'll end our time this morning. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The last way that is very important that we parent out of this as we work out these circles is that we integrate always. One of the great travesties in modern day Christianity, especially here in America, is the way that we compartmentalize it. Is the way that Jesus interacts with this thing, but not this thing, and he has control over this part of my life, but not this part of my life, and I give him this, but I don't give him this. Actual Christianity looks like every part of every millisecond of every day of my life is impacted first and foremost by my relationship with Jesus and by who he is. And so as you have conversations, listen, pray for your kids. Watch your kids. Celebrate milestones. Walk in the normal rhythm of life and figure out where do they open the door for you to have opportunity to again The goal is not to make honor roll. The goal is not to become a professional athlete. If those happen, praise God. The goal is to get them to actually praise God and to understand that their identity is not in those things. Those things are added blessings that they can use as tools and resources in their life to bless other people and to teach them what it looks like to love and stir and have affection for Jesus. So celebrate, pray, watch, invest in your kids. And then I wanna encourage you with this. Don't be myopic. Myopic will be very discouraging. If you look at one particular moment where you fail and then you dwell on that moment, all you're gonna see yourself as is a failure. You never know what the impact you're making on your kids is. And here's the reason that I know. I'm gonna show you guys something. This um, picture frame right here has has a note in it. This note was written to me in March, April of 2008 my senior year of high school. In March of 2008, we were playing our second game. I was the Aiken High Fighting Green Hornet, and we were playing our second baseball game of the year against South Aiken, and I got called on to pitch. So it was our crosstown rival, and I was excited to play. I, the week before, it had a very good outing, had pitched really well. Um, here's the thing I'm gonna tell you about my baseball career. I made sure that all of the big leagues team had my number. None of them have called me yet. So we're still working on it, we're still waiting. But I, was, I had a tendency, like a lot of men do, to define myself by what happened on a field or what happened by my performance. And so this big game, that was the last game against our crosstown rival my senior year. I didn't make it out of the first inning. I walked the first two batters of the game en route to giving up six runs before I got the second out of the first inning and got pulled out, shifted over to first base. In the third inning, I made two errors at, thir- at first base. So it was a bad day, and I was distraught. The next... The next morning I woke up and this was on the foot of, at the foot of my bed. And it's a note from my dad. And in this note, my dad reminds me that there's so many more defining things about me than a baseball game. And here's the thing. I looked at it this week, there's grammatical errors. There's, it's not a perfect note. It's not a perfect picture of parenting. But... However, 15 years later, this sits in my office 
today and is one of my most valuable possessions because it is one of the things in my life that reminds me who I am in Christ. And that my biggest successes or my biggest failures aren't the most defining thing in my life. It's what Christ has done for me. And so for you, parent in the room, recognize that sometimes it's gonna be a pivotal moment, a conversation about what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes it's a note that probably took 15 minutes to write. In all of that, God is working. If we will be attentive, if we'll explain to our kids why we're doing it, if we will protect our personal relationship with Jesus, and then inside of all of that, if we'll be consistent to explain and to walk that out with them and see that our goal with them is not for them to have all of the things the world would define as success, but to see them have an abundant life that's marked by Jesus' presence and power in their life. Stir your affections first and foremost for Jesus and pass those affections on to your children. That's the impact that we're gonna make. Will you pray with me? King Jesus, this morning, I thank you. God, I thank you that because of your word, because of your grace, because of your power, that a, that a broken guy who lost his mind on a precious gift from you, God, could spend time in your word this week and be humbled and broken, God, but find hope and peace and rest and joy as a result of the promises that you've made for us. God, that it's not about us. It's about you. So God, my prayer this morning is for everyone in here, parent, not a parent, grandparent, done with parenting, whatever it may be, broken and hurting as a result of those relationships. My prayer is, first and foremost, God, will you stir our affections for you. May we surrender our lives to you. May we recognize that we may be exhausted with every point that we've gotten to in this life, whether it be parenting or just life in general, because we've chased the wrong things, because we've believed the wrong things, because we've... We've trusted that it's our ability and our performance and what we do and what we say and how we act that is the goal. God, this morning, may we be reminded, first and foremost, that it's what you've done on the cross that saves us. And may we develop a deeper knowledge of you, not so that we can become theologically arrogant, but so that we can become hopelessly in love with you. May you save us from the things that we're pursuing that we might pursue you and find joy that transcends circumstances. God, for the parents in this room, I pray that they find peace and encouragement this morning. That they're not alone, that you are with them, that you are walking through them and that you put them in their kids' lives. That you are exactly the parent, that, that they are exactly the parent that their kid needs because you are a God who doesn't make mistakes. God, and may they surrender to fall in love with you so that in doing that, they may learn what it looks like to lead their children out of that love. Jesus, I thank you for who you are this morning. I ask that you would continue to move in power, that you would save, that you would restore, that you would redeem our lives, our families, our children. God, and that you would give us the wisdom to be faithful, to walk with you in that. It's in your name and through your power we pray.